Hi crew and welcome back to the Bookast. It is your host here, James Rankin. This week on the show, I'm joined by my friend, Dr. Ed. Ed is a classically trained doctor and psychiatrist, although he does have some slightly unorthodox views and methods around health and fitness, which I always love to hear him talk about. This is a great convo, um, and I hope you get something out of this one, team. As always, if you haven't already, please follow or subscribe on your chosen podcast platform. And if you find this one helpful, team, please share it on social media or with a friend. It's enough for me. Enjoy the show. So, Ed, first thing I want to ask you today is about um, routines. Routines are fucking super trendy at the minute. Morning mm-hmm. routine, evening routine, midday routine. Um, in your experience and in your personal life, do you have one? And do you find the ben- that do you find they're beneficial with like your your clients and for yourself? Absolutely. And when I'm feeling good, then I kind of look at my life and think oh yeah I'm in a kind of routine now and I'm like oh is it the routine that's making me feel good or is it the fact that I've ended up in a routine um it kind of goes both ways but yes definitely I always try and get up and do all of the things I've kind of talked to you about before um so getting natural light uh in my eyes and getting um bare skin out in nature so going to stand on some grass um and if I'm in a an appropriate environment, I will expose my midsection to the sun and the world. <laughs> um, I've just moved into a new place, and I'm slowly getting the confidence to do that because um, it's got it's got like really nice private gardens. So I'm kind of uh, tentatively, but nobody seems to be up that early anyway at the moment. So yeah, yeah. And, and then yeah, definitely, it's something that I'm working on with clients. Um, it because of the the importance of kind of this circadian rhythm and chronobiology as a a pinnacle of health for me um it's actually the first thing i address i don't even like i get to the point where i don't really even worry about what they're eating um if we can set the rhythm of the day up right then a lot of the problems that they're having um start to settle and then we can um, focus on the the detail after that Wow. But literally light movement um, and a bit of nutritional advice would be my kind of three initial steps for, for most clients I work with now. And the advice I give is super simple, but it's the simple things that a lot of people are neglecting because for some reason they want to do crazy things in there. The most, the most complex stuff is obviously the most effective, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So to their own. Each their own, yeah. So, whenever you're setting up the routine, do you start at the start of the day, or do you start at the end of the day and work backwards? Or what's your preference? Um, it's a good question. I is this is my personal thing, and it's not for everybody. But I like to start with setting up around sunrise. Okay. Um, and that would have been our kind of evolutionarily programmed start of the day. And I appreciate um, that isn't appropriate for everybody, um, but it's a really powerful time in the day to to get things going. And that's from a kind of biological and psychological, emotional, spiritual, however you want to see it. But um, 
seeing the first light of the day and seeing the sun come up and all of the biological effects of that are um, programmed within you to improve your sleep. So starting if in the morning is when you're going to get the maximum benefit for the next day's sleep. Yeah. Um, so I, I anchor everything from there and then go forwards. Um, for some people, it's the other way around and it depends on their lifestyle and routine. We anchor from the sunset uh, what to do after that. And that's kind of like a sleep anchoring type program where yeah. you have this, your day in theory starts from preparing to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, because if you don't sleep well, um, like I didn't last night for some reason, then the rest of your day, which is the next day, becomes more challenging. It's harder to make good decisions. It's harder to have clarity of thought. It's harder to feel good. Um, it's possible to do, but you have to be a bit more disciplined. And yeah. I think the way to allow these routines uh, to work for you is using them to your benefit. I don't do something as a routine if you don't feel good doing it. Yeah. Um, sometimes it takes obviously two weeks to transition into something new. And there's always a bit of um, to and fro with, oh, I don't like it, but you probably should be doing it. And then yeah. once you've done it long enough, you start to feel better and then you're like okay yeah. i'm glad i got to that point but it's it's a that those two weeks are really tricky but it, i think if you get it right it can actually be kind of one or two days and then your body's just kind of kicks into in that okay we're going the right way yeah and what do you notice kind of like for people who who really don't have a routine say they have a set routine of like they work a nine to five um and they get up at similar times and they go to bed at similar times, but say the weekend throws it off. What are the mm. kind of the costs of that? Like, what do you see happen to people because of it? Well, I think the biggest, like the biggest one um, is a very well-known one is when the clocks change. Um, and that's just by an hour, which is significant really. Um, so when they change, there's an increased number of heart attacks that happen in the preceding week. Um, and wow. that's, I think it goes up by, uh, I don't know what the percentage is. It's something like 100%, or uh, maybe it's not, but uh, you have to listen to Matthew Walker yeah. from Why We Sleep. He talks about that. Um, and it goes the opposite way when the clocks change the other way. Wow. But it's li literally statistically on that Monday, there's more or less heart attacks because of that clock change. That's so insane. Even, even those days where you kind of... Uh, uh, oversleep in the morning or uh, stay out late just for one night like they can have a dramatic impact I, I feel like I'm still recovering from the clock change because I have a, a job that requires me to be um, in a place at a certain time I can't be flexible with my morning so much yeah. Um, so yeah it, it does take a while to to rejig and there's some yeah. tools and hacks you can use to make things change faster but yeah it's it's a big impact um, and I think for me, because my, my lens and sphere is always health. Um, I think just the, that feeling of if you have a routine in the week and then you let it go to crap at the weekend, um, you feel the difference you get to Monday and you're like, Oh, I'm back to the routine again. Yeah. Whereas if, if you keep it going through the weekend, it just starts to build a momentum and you're like, Oh, this isn't really too challenging. Yeah. Um, and it's the, the more good days you have over time, even if you have a bad day, it's so much easier to get back onto the good days. Um, yeah, that makes so much sense. So what kind of, you, you say there's some hacks there, like what, what would be 
So obviously, are you still doing shift work? Um, yes. Not so. Yeah. So what, what's your immediate go-to hack if you're going from a night shift back into a day shift? What's your, what's your first protocol? So I don't have too much of that, which is nice, but I, I, I like to obviously get stuff done after I've been on my night shift, um, even yeah. if I'm not at work. So um, I think it is, it's as simple as um, getting up for that sunrise on that morning after. Okay. Um, and trying, uh, trying always to keep the natural rhythm of the days intact. So uh, say I finish uh, my last night in the morning, then I try not to sleep. I try and get as much natural light as I can for as long as I can throughout that day, set myself up to have a, a really nourishing dinner, uh, a relaxed evening, set all of the kind of cues to feel tired again at the normal time, maybe like have a bath with Epsom salts, that kind of thing, um, yeah. because magnesium helps us relax. Um, the change in temperature, so either going from your temperature to very cold or to hot, um, is another cue that the, the body used is to set time. Um, and then again, trying to get back to the sunrise after hopefully a good night's sleep. Um, yeah. And then there's everything that comes along with a good night's sleep and hygiene, et cetera. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Let's dive into that hot and cold stuff. That's, that's mm -hmm. something I'm always intrigued about. And you said uh, before we started recording that um, you were going to go jump in the sea, even though it's cold. What are the... What are the health benefits of extreme heat and extreme cold? Yes, I'll try not to get too complex, um, but I think <laughs> the we're, we're designed to be exposed to the extremes um, in nature, i.e. we didn't always have a thermostat that kept us at a very stable temperature all of the time. Um, and it's the, the extreme. So for example, they've shown that um, sauna therapy um, or just going in saunas like they would do in Scandinavia, um, there's a cardiovascular benefit from doing one a week, three a week, five a week, uh, and it's dose dependent. So if you, you go in a sauna five times a week for X amount of time, your cardiovascular risk will decrease significantly. Wow. Um, and it will decrease a bit less if you do three and a bit less if you do one. Um, and to me, it's a, it's a question of what is it actually, actually doing. Mm -hmm. um, and everything uh, in life is produced by the sun and the sun gives us uh, light, heat, essentially energy and information that tells us what we should be doing as a, Thing that lives underneath it um, yeah. and essentially the the cold and the hot allow us to harness that energy in different ways um, so on the hot side it's 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 infrared heat uh, which mm -hmm. allows us to uh, vasodilate our blood vessels and produce more energy in the cell through the mitochondria uh, and produce more water so Paradoxically, if you're feeling dehydrated, um, having like an extreme of temperature can kind of reset the system a bit and allow oh. you to rehydrate yourself. But rehydrate it doesn't matter internally. It doesn't matter which way you go. You can be extremely hot or extremely cold. They both help. 
I think so. Yeah. From experience. But obviously you have to make sure that you keep up with. Um, so for example, if you go into the cold, you probably want to have a decent meal before, because when you go into the cold, there's, it slows everything down. Mm -hmm. But then when you go out of the cold, it speeds everything up and you feel that in the, the shaking and shivering. And you also start to feel warmer, like you start to produce heat and you see people go kind of like a pink color. That's because yeah. everything kind of vasodilates again. Um, and that's drawing energy through the mitochondria really quickly. So it's, it's a way to um, improve the efficiency wow. of the whole system. Mm just by touching either end obviously you yeah. can get too cold and you can get too hot and everybody needs to start it's just like any training stimulus yeah. to me except we probably should be colder most of the time um than we think especially for us living in the uk like we yeah. always spend time indoors where it's warm although you guys as coaches and crossfit uh athletes <laughs> tend and like the gyms are generally cooler yeah freezing freezing cold yeah um, but it's good for you so just generally being cold so say for example i know my partner loves the house to be warm and if it's even a little bit cold it's jumper on scarf on and heating on straight away so mm -hmm. what's she missing by not just kind of being at peace with that cold for a little while for me it's more of the neurological and not so much neurological, but the nervous system benefits. So I describe oh. things as kind of like an exposure therapy or a distress tolerance. And that's really what um, huh. yeah. tra training of anything is. Mm. Um, the exposure therapy would be um, kind of, I'm afraid of the cold and I don't like being cold. The way to get away from that is to slowly embrace a bit more cold over time but not too much that you like, oh, I'm never doing that ever again. Yeah. But just enough, just enough every time, just like you're um, like, I don't know, coaching a new member, the bench press, like you don't load up the bench press with a hundred kilos and then say, off you go. <laughs> they come down and it yeah. crushes their neck and then they're probably never going to do the bench press with you ever again. Of course. Um, but I think slowly exposing yourself to a kind of longer or more intense periods of cold can have big impacts um and I, wim hoff is actually coming out with a uh a bbc documentary i think so a mainstream oh, wow. documentary uh and he he was kind of the modern day person who got people interested and shows that the cold itself increases our production of dopamine and serotonin which are the neurotransmitters that generally keep us focused having drive um enjoying tasks uh proceeding to do tasks and that yeah. kind of thing um so yeah i think uh it's a space that people aren't willing to go into a lot yeah um because it seems scary but um it can be as simple as starting your day with filling the sink with cold water and dunking your head into it um yeah. and going Just from there baby steps and going from there wow Exactly. But that's not medical advice. And if you do do it, don't get your head <laughs> collapse or drown. Yeah. Disclaimer through the whole podcast. It's just me and yeah. Ed having a conversation and you're eavesdropping people. That's all this is. Um, with the, you mentioned um, 
like the the impact that that can have on other things as well. With, so with regards to we were talking about your nutrition and your your morning stuff mm-hmm. very briefly there. With regards to health versus performance or health versus fitness even is it possible to have that fitness without having a good baseline of health and if it is is it a long-term thing that you can maintain or are you going to crash and burn at some stage yeah i don't think you can i mean it depends what definition that you use um i've talked about my definitions recently on my yeah i was just can you explain the abc yeah so i have the abc of health which would be the absence um, of disease and the balance of anabolic and catabolic processes according to the life cycle of the individual Um, and then the abc of fitness which would be the absence of injury and the balance of energy and nervous system um, and the ability to complete the task at hand uh, depending on the current context and the environment yeah um, if you define it as the ABC, then I think everything becomes sustainable. But a lot of the time, people forget the A and the B. So particularly for fitness, yeah. their, their training will be all about being able to complete the task at hand, mm-hmm. but never in the context of absence of injury or pain and um, the balance of the energy and nervous systems. And I mean, this is why CrossFit was a really potent um, and for me, beautiful new training methodology um, and concept when it first began, because um, if you look at that ABC, it allows you to screen any athlete for any movement issue. So there might be movements that they can't do or they're avoiding, or um, I do a lot of kind of movement assessment, um, looking at how people move in the context of the nervous system. And what I can do is look at a CrossFit athlete and see where their gaps are, or I can look at their programming and see, are they not doing something? So the original CrossFit would have had a day where you would just do your heavy lifting. And then the next day you might do like a 10 K run, um, that kind of thing. And that that's the balance aspect of it. Yeah. So if you're keeping, if you're keeping those in check, then completing the task at hand, hopefully the tasks will build you up and prevent you getting injured and allow you to balance the energy and nervous systems. Um, so yeah, that would be my, my explanation of that. Yeah. Daily. Um, so with the, with the ABC of health, the, I have this written down absence of disease, the balance of you defined it as metabolism on your thing as well. And the life cycle or the cycle of life. Talk Mm. about the balance of metabolism for me there. Can you dive a little bit deeper on that? Yeah, so this is is something that in conventional medicine, we never really knew how to measure, I suppose. Um, And the, the cool thing now is that we have the technology available to us to measure metabolism, I believe. Um, And it's a really good non-judgmental approach to thinking about how your cells are healthy or if they could be improved. And that's what I do in health optimization medicine. Um, So um, one of the tests or one of our pillars of health would be clinical metabolomics. So we would take blood, urine, stool samples and do a kind of a whole screen of uh, over 200 analytes. 
Uh And then the way that we practice is that we don't diagnose or treat anything based on the metabolites. We just make sure they're all in um, optimal range and we keep them there for the rest of your life. And the environment will have an impact on them. Your diet will have an impact on them. The way you train will have an impact on them. The stresses and where you live will have an impact on them. Every six months, we test them. We bring them all back into range based on lifestyle maybe supplementation, maybe changing your diet in certain ways or changing a light environment, all of the things I've mentioned. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like taking your, your health for an MOT or a, a service like you would your car. For some reason, people are willing to spend, I don't know how much, uh, looking after their car every like yeah. two months and getting a new paint job and all of that stuff. Um, but they don't want to spend that much money on themselves uh, getting, getting these tests which i would argue are quite useful particularly for people and these are the the population that i'm really um, passionate about helping um, and compassionate for is the people that there's something just not quite right they don't have much energy they they go to the gp or the doctor or whoever their coach and they just say like there's something wrong and then they go to the um the doctor who does like the normal blood tests to look for diseases or illness and they say there's nothing wrong um and i would say that's quite right but come and do our tests and we can check what's right or what can be improved and it's the complete other end of the spectrum yeah um and it's like that uh disease health wellness spectrum that uh, glassman had that many years ago when he was in charge um (laughs) had some very good concepts i believe yeah um but yeah that's uh it's something that can be measured yeah so with that then say say someone does have really low energy levels or like per libido or they're they're not depressed but they're not themselves like are there any commonalities is there certain like maybe three common things that tend to be the same sort of issue? Um, Yeah, so one of the things that um, kind of links the fitness and the health um, for me is the lactate metabolism. And that would be number one. So um, when you produce energy in the body, you generally use... Uh, proteins, carbohydrates, or fats, and they're metabolized. Um, and they go through the cell through lots of steps in a pathway and end up outside the mitochondria. And if they're going to be used by that cell, then they're converted to uh, something which then is used as fuel to create ATP in the mitochondria. Or if they're not needed in that cell, but they're needed elsewhere in the body, then you'll produce lactate. And then that can go to any other cell and then be reconverted to something that can be used in the mitochondria. So a lot of people see, see lactate or lactic acid as a, a negative thing, but really it's energy for anywhere in your body that's necessary at that time. So we associate it with being in a stressed environment, yeah. but in a stressed environment, we need lactate. Energy, yeah. Ah. Um, so... Um, a lot of people, again, it comes back to this ex, uh, exposure therapy and distress tolerance is you need a certain amount of lactate in the system and you need to be able to use it 
well and produce it well to keep everything running all over your body um, smoothly. So a, a common th thing I would see in people that are feeling kind of low or tired um, and struggling with some issues is either their lactate is very, very low and they're using it faster than they can produce it, or it's really high um, and they are producing it faster than they can use it. And th okay. that, those two ends of the spectrum seem to correlate, but aren't exactly uh, with kind of anxiety and depression. Oh, and which one goes, so the, the not producing it fast enough would mm -hmm. be depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what's or your remedy for that? Maintain a high level. So the, the remedy would be exposure therapy and the stress tolerance. So it would be oh. gradually ex exposing yourself to more and more stress. So we produce more and more lactate or exposing ourselves to intense stress. So the lactate levels come really high. So this is why um, is one of the reasons that the cold, the intense cold very quickly will cause a massive wave of lactate and energy. Um, and it helps with depression. Oh. Um, in the same way that if you've never done a CrossFit workout before and you do your first kind of induction, you hate it in the moment, but then afterwards you have this kind of like brain fog and you're like, I don't even know what's just happened to me. But then the next few days you're like, I feel really good. I want to do it again. And that's the high people get from their first session that brings them back. Yeah. But again, if you keep doing that type of session for too long, then you're always on the high side. And I think this is the issue that we see with people that have done CrossFit for so long is they're always searching for that high holy grail yeah. feeling um and they think the answer is in more volume or or more intensity whatever. yeah but then but they never are able to hit that level of intensity because it's all relative of course so it's, it's then the coach's mastery and craft to bring the person back to balance and then give them the highs but also allow them to this, this is why zone two training is becoming very kind of talked about. I don't know if you've heard much yeah. about it, but like that kind of long, slow, um, able to breathe and not feeling too stressed. And it's yeah. just on that threshold of where you're producing lactate, but you're also using it at the same rate. So you're basically keeping just under this lactate threshold as it's known. Yeah. Andrew Huberman's been talking about that a lot, hasn't he? About that yeah. zone two, like 200 minutes kind of steady pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what, what um, the guy who's kind of the, the big guy in the field of that, um, Inigo San Milan, who's, uh, who's on Peter Atia's podcast, which is really interesting, um, if you want to go find more about it. But that zone appears to be the most effective for increasing the number of mitochondria throughout the body, which are the batteries that run you and create energy. Um, it's so potent that he actually published, and not many people have talked about this, a paper where he took um, he took people with uh, colon cancer, um, and it's known that in cancers you have a local excess amount of lactate that's produced, and cancer in some schools of thought is actually a mitochondrial disorder or ends up being a mitochondrial disorder. Um, so his hypothesis was, well, if we do zone two training in these individuals with colon cancer, then we reduce the lactate and we improve the mitochondria. Therefore, the therapies will work more effectively. And we're also potentially 
dealing with the the cancer and wow. from his pilot trials that i've seen uh was very effective um so the, these are the cool things that i think um the way that fitness and health and medicine can come together to really yeah. get to the crux of people's problems and provide solutions to optimize their health wow um, so what for for you or what you've used or what you've used with clients before what would be like a, a good starting point for that zone two stuff like how many times a week for how long and how do they measure so, it? Uh, it, it i don't like to measure stuff because i think people especially athletes like to measure everything and i think um that if the more we can give them that they're not measuring, but actually feeling how they feel, um, then I think that's kind of useful. You're so, talking my language, Ed, now you're <laughs> talking my language, feelings. Sometimes numbers are useful, but again, it's as a measure and not necessarily as a target. So I stole this from, uh, from Julian uh, Pino at StrongFit. Uh, so check them out. Um, a good way is 10 minutes on the assault bike and you're going to essentially start um, pedaling. And I kind of like to start with my eyes closed and you basically find, you, you keep speeding up until you find a, a pace that a message comes through to you where you're like, oh no, like this is too fast kind of thing. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I can do this for 10 minutes. And then you open your eyes and you look at the RPM and let's say it's, I don't know, 62. You then go... 60 or 58 and you hold that number you look at that number and you hold that number for the 10 minutes and what that's doing is it's finding your threshold for the day of stress essentially and then you're going just below it and you're never allowing yourself to get too stressed but you're always trying to touch the stress and that's exposing you to stress but it's not excessive and this is the exposure therapy concept and if you do that, um, I mean, start with one day a week, go to two, and then try and get in the habit of doing it um, more frequently, you'll find that you can regulate your mood and your engine oh. and everything. So I suppose you'll find there, that, so I'm thinking of the obsessive people I know that do listen to this, where they'll do, say the first day they try it, they'll feel great and it'll mm. be at 70. They're on the bike, 70, and uh -huh. they open their eyes and they're like, oh, deadly. So I'll go 65 and hold it. Then the next yep. day they try it, they open their eyes and it's at 60. And yes. they'll be like, no, 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 but I can do more than this. So they'll over push and yes. go back up to the 65, even though that's above their threshold for the day. Right. So is, is that the same thing as the chasing the high in the CrossFit? And that's where that constant... Yeah, it's um, it, again, it comes back to my definition of the current capacity to complete the task. And it's when you when you it, it's it's having a program that somebody's setting for you that says on Wednesday, you're going to do a one RM. And then you have an accident on Tuesday and you have the worst night's sleep of your life. Um, and then you wake up on Wednesday and you get to the gym and they're like, cool. So it's one RM day and you can barely like walk or something. Yeah. And then immediately your system is like, well, I guess we better do the one RM. But afterwards, what's the consequence? You could injure yourself. The stress could be so high that you can't train for the next two weeks. And again, we could potentially measure that. 
um, for the lactate and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, it's realizing that every day is different. And what's really nice about doing that 10 minutes first thing um, or as a kind of warm up is it tells you where you are for the day. And actually some people find that they start um, and this is true for me as well is I don't feel that great and I do the bike and I'm kind of halfway through and then I'm like, actually, this isn't too bad. And then I go a bit faster and a bit faster and a bit faster and I still feel good. And I come off at the end at like 65 when I started at 57 and you still feel great. I, I didn't get to the stressful point and then I feel great. And then that comes into the rest of my day and I start completing tasks and um, winning. And I think like that's, that's the key word. And I, I talked to um, Andrew Tracy about this recently on his podcast, um, setting up your, setting up your training to feel like you're winning. There's yeah. some days you need to fail because then you learn where your boundaries are and, and what you need to work on. Um, and that helps you keep in line with the ABC. But um, the more days that you can win, the better you will feel. And I think that's the key thing. Um, because yeah we can do all these expensive tests to measure your metabolism but if you're feeling really good and you're able to do the tasks that you need to do yeah. every day without pain and suffering and you can socialize and do everything else you need to do then you probably don't need to get the tests done yeah if you're not worried about anything in particular daily that's that's the title of the podcast set up your day to feel like you're winning that's huge <laughs> that's something where we're, we're we definitely try and push here whenever we're coaching. Um, we have a, we have our stimulus for the day, and we do classic CrossFit style. So, like, um, I'm trying to think. For example, on Sunday, this coming Sunday, it's heavy back squats, yeah, and that's all we do for the full hour, just squat. And then today is um, a mixture of like heavy pressing into body weight pressing into body weight isometrics with just some ab work in between. And it's it's like super simple. And I remember whenever I first started working here, I was looking at it going, how does anyone get fitter doing this? Because I was used to that style of CrossFit where you do a conditioning warm-up, a heavy thing, a skillful thing, and a workout. Mm -hmm. And I realize now that I was just so stressed all the time. I don't know how the fuck I functioned ever. Yeah. It's crazy. I think... Um, I. I the beauty of having something very simple is you can put you can give yourself what you need from it so yes. if it's just today you're going to squat then if you feel like going really heavy then you can go really heavy you really can yeah and if you feel like not then you can just do reps and yeah. move out until you work on your technique or however it's going to be and both um, people walk away with a win in that exactly um, and this is so, and this is the the other side, kind of the emotional side. So in my day job, I'm a psychiatrist, but I'm kind of getting into the realm of using movement as a therapy. And obviously, the lactate side of metabolism can help us with that. But the 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 way you approach exercises and movement um, can also have a big impact on on how you're feeling and um your whole behavior really yeah. um and this is something i'm working on quite heavily with uh, richard Aceves, um who I don't, your listeners might know um who's who 
is the the movement shaman where he uses very specific um approaches to movement to allow people to have similar experiences to the ones they would have in kind of psychedelic experiences or wow. plant medicines and um yeah it's it, for, for people that just do normal training and crossfit it seems like well that sounds ridiculous hippy dippy <laughs> yeah uh, but when yeah. you experience it you're like oh okay there's yeah. something here i must get um I must get you to put me in contact with Richard actually, because I've seen he's doing what's his movement ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty, that seems pretty um, out there, but it's really intriguing. Really. Intriguing. Yeah. So it's, um, it's obviously something I got really interested in because of, um, I don't really know. I'm just interested in the way people act the way they do. Yeah. Um, and I don't like to talk too much on it because he's, he's kind of the guru of it and he's experienced it and has seen everything. But the more, the more I do my assessments and the more people I see um, and the more, the more patients that have kind of really um, troubled histories and traumas in the hospital um, that I work in. And I can link that to certain pains, um, areas of discomfort that they're discussing or, the way that they walk or the way that they hold themselves in conversation um, to the point where there's one or two where I've guessed what the issue that they had in the past was not, not openly, but in my own head. And then I checked it against the notes and it was true. Wow. So like these patterns are starting to be a bit clearer. Yeah. Um, and the, we'll see, I'm, I'm going to his, uh, his next retreat in Amsterdam them at the end of the month savage um, i think there's one spot left if anybody's interested um it's the a guys only retreat for yeah three days awesome um, i might look into that can we dive into then like that relationship between um emotions and movement because that's something mm -hmm. i'm really interested in because i i i recently became a dad so for me i can feel when I'm coming to the gym and I'm on a high and I've had a great weekend or whatever with my partner and my daughter. And I can also feel whenever I'm on a bit of a low, like uh, say it's squats, say on Monday we do squats and the next Monday we do squats. It feels different Monday to Monday, depending on mm -hmm. my mood over the weekend. For sure. Can you, can you dig a little deeper on that for me? So, yeah, I, um, Obviously, like the, the squat and the back squat in particular is a very aggressive and intense movement. And it's probably one of the most because most people can lift the heaviest on that. So to do that and use the glutes, which, again, are very big muscles um, that require a lot of drive and um, intensity to use them if you were to approach the squat in kind of like a very subdued or uh, low, not very in the moment um, mindset, then the squats can feel completely different. If you had like uh, just come out of a bar fight and one and somebody's like set up like a squat rack over there and they say like, you've got to go and lift that now. And then you just go bang, bang. Um, that emotional approach to the, 
the movement can be huge. Um, so what, what we are working on um, together, Richard and I are, uh, we call them morning drivers. So workouts that you can do in your morning to have a, a mood going through the day or to have an approach through the day that you're interested in. Um, maybe if you want to think clearly because you have an exam, we would have a little workout for that. Um, and then workouts for the evening. And depending on the mood that you feel, you would, the, the workout would be different for you on that day. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes so, sense. yeah. So can you work it both ways where say, say you come into the gym in a certain mood? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you adjust that to leave a certain way? And then if you want to go a certain way, regardless of what mood you're in before you can have a certain thing that like dictates how you're going to leave the gym every day yeah well i mean that that is all my training is now i don't really have wow. any specific goals um i just i get to the gym and i think how do i feel yeah and then how do i want to feel when i leave because what am i doing or awesome. if i'm in kind of a, like a negative mindset or a perceived negative mindset then how can i get myself to a more positive one yeah. Um, so it comes back to the nervous system of accepting the state that you're in. So, for example, if you're feeling low and not really that social, then you're probably more in the freeze state. So the way out of a freeze state would be a fight that you can win um, or feel good after. So uh, one thing that can help a lot of people um, would be just a pump session. Um, so feeling a nice contraction in, yeah. the, pe in the pecs, for example, um, which everybody loves. <laughs> or, um, or just saying, okay, I'm going to, like, um, maybe I'm feeling low because I'm frustrated or angry about something that's happened. Yeah. So I'm going to go pick up that D-ball and I'm going to slam it into the ground as if it's somebody's skull or whatever you like. I'm not um, <laughs> violence or anything. Um, <laughs> and, until I feel better. And I'm just going to yeah. keep going. And if I have to shout and scream, I'm going to keep going. It might be five reps. It might be 30 reps. It might be 23 reps, which is why it's a good idea not to count and that kind of yeah. thing. And then you come out of that kind of warm-up activation approach. And then you feel kind of the fog lift. And you're like, okay, now I'm ready to train. I've accepted my state. I've expressed it. And now I'm in more of a flow or a fight state. And I'm ready to to join the class and do whatever else that, that they're doing. And then I can awesome. leave the gym feeling like there's a weight off my shoulders, which yeah. a lot of people go to the gym for that reason is that the yeah. rest of their life is very stressful. And if as coaches, we can, we can direct them through that, uh, that experience and take them out the other side, feeling better than um, we're doing our job, right? You're doing your job. And I think also part of the conversation is not, again you can you can do your job in that way but not allowing them to use the gym as an escape but a way of improving themselves so they can then deal with whatever the stress is in the yeah. in the rest of their life yeah um that's huge again, what about um so for that is is there a difference between say you're in an angry mood right and the d-ball seems really logical because it's like it's an aggressive thing is there a way to do that with like a more conditioning side of things or like on a machine or is there certain if you feel this way cardio would be better if you feel this way weightlifting would be better do you know what i mean still working on that one 
Um, I mean, I think if you if you do feel kind of in that aggressive mood and you want to not, and you want that kind of like, I don't have anything left mood, then getting on the assault bike and sprinting for as many calories as you can, or saying I'm going to do like 50 calories in as fast as I can, I guarantee most people who are angry who get 50 calories will get off and they'll lie on the floor and they will not be angry anymore. Be able to be angry anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then they might actually be able to have a conversation about why they're feeling angry and they I mean they might even start crying, which is yeah uh, perfect. I've had one or one or two people that would start crying on certain things or look like they want to cry, but they don't cry because maybe I'm there or whatever. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's usually this old bike or the uh, sled. Oh yeah, the sled will bring me to tears regardless of what sort of mood I'm in, I reckon. <laughs> um, how important, this isn't really fitness related, but I kind of want to, I'm really interested in this emotional side of things at the minute. How important mm-hmm. do you think it is to, to really express our emotions? Like to be angry and to be, upset to the point of tears and stuff i mean i think it's really important and i think uh, again unfortunately um not unfortunately the the way modern society works and the way businesses work and the way kind of interaction works the way we're taught in schools the way we're taught to behave in our businesses or in our workplace is that you don't really and potentially shouldn't show excessive emotion either way because um if somebody says something that really makes you angry and you go over and punch them in the face during a board meeting (laughs) you're gonna get told off and fired and etc etc but that probably would have happened if you were a caveman and somebody would have picked up a rock and you hit somebody over the head and then that's the end of the argument and you feel better um unfortunately we can't do that but again that's yeah. what gym, gyms are for is that they allow people to go from the rest of their life to somewhere that they can express their emotion hopefully fully um and i think this is the real reason that people who are just starting out or are thinking about going to the gym it's actually a really difficult place to go because if you're not used to sweating in front of people, if you're not used to like showing it is an emotion when you're tired or when you're pushing hard or yeah. feeling like what, like you're wanting to growl to finish reps and that kind of thing, like really expressing yourself is difficult because we've been trained not to do it. Yeah. But I think the more we can do it in a controlled environment, uh, the better. And I mean, I would see, um, and I think it's sad um, a lot of people who have never trained before or don't know that that is a potential way that they can use their training is to express their emotion. Um, coming or speaking to me on the phone when I was uh, in GP practice with anxiety or depression and like they would use the phrase like I, I can feel there's so much energy inside of me and I just don't know what to do with it. And if you take that all the way to the extremists, they do bad things, which is even yeah. harming themselves or other people. Um, and again, we're back to the boardroom situation. That, mm. I mean, the body, the body, the body, the physical body needs to express psychological angst. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think it's important, but it's also doing it in a in, in a controlled way. Yeah. 
So do you think, going back on some of the stuff we spoke about earlier, you know, like the type of workout you have for the, to set you up for the day. Mm-hmm. If you knew that you were going to have an interaction and you know that this person or a, a group of people stress you out, really annoy you, you always leave in a bad mood. Is yeah. there a way to build towards that as well and still be ready for it and not have the same, I want to punch that person in the face reaction? Yeah, so, I mean, there's, um, <clears throat> there's certain muscles that you could activate to have a more stern tone of voice and more confidence in your voice. Wow. Um, and those are, that, the reason I happen to know that is because those are muscles that I've been working on recently and I'm feeling more confident in my interactions at work and I can put across my opinions more forcefully. And Good then for you, you maybe. And then you can maybe add in some calves, uh, which are the thinking muscles, and you do some calf, get them really connected, get the blood flow to the calves. Um, and that allows you to order your thoughts in a specific way to then express them. Oh. Um, so that'll be one people can go away and play with is if you have, like, for example, I think last time we spoke, I told you that I'd been for a walk before. The, the activation of the calves seems to be really important in ordering your thoughts so that then you can express them. Um, uh, That's deadly because I went for a walk just before we had a call today. Right. But again, all of these things, they're grounded in our behavior. Yeah. Like we've, we've always done them. If you see people who they've had an argument and they walk out of the house and they go for a long walk or they're not sure what to do and they go for a long walk. It allows them to kind of think through everything yeah. um, and then come back and be like, okay, so this is how we're going to fix the problem. Um, and I, this is what I always say, like it's the most basic thing for um, my clients or patients is start by going for a walk. If you're not sure what you should be doing or you're not yeah. sure how you feel, go for a walk. And if you're not sure by the end, go for a longer walk. <laughs> oh um, amazing but if again if you're if you're not used to walking then just go for a short walk and see how you feel afterwards and if you feel better then do more of it and then again with anything you can create imbalances and deficiencies so if you spend too much time thinking um, and too much time walking then you're neglecting heavy lifting other muscles that need to be active yeah, yeah. as well because if you only think and then you're not expressing yes but you need to be able to think to express otherwise yeah. you're just shouting <laughs> just nonsense interesting that's really interesting so you need to be able to think to express yeah the walks are important but yeah people yeah because people always feel better after a walk and that's when yeah. people get obsessed about yeah, they're counting their steps on their their watch or their Fitbit or whatever it is. Interesting, cool. cool. And they're, I mean, they're, they're they're all tools. And there's one cool. I'm just gonna. I, I'm not affiliated in any way, so I don't even know why I'm telling you about them. But there's a an app that's just is called Sweatcoin, and the more steps you do, the more sweat coins you earn. Um, so I just, I mean, it's on my phone, so I'm just accumulating them. Um, but then. <laughs> then today i was like oh i'm doing more walking today am i just trying to get more sweat coins or and i'm like well it doesn't matter because walking, walking is better than just sitting down yeah um, i love it i love it i love it uh, so, i don't know what you can do with the coins but there you go. i was going to say is is there any benefit to having the coins is it like a 
or is it the more a, people a, that start to use it the better but you it seems that they have like an online store and you can get little prizes and stuff barely i'm going to download it after this swear the, fu- the future of uh, tech can be helpful well this is like do you remember whenever pokemon go became huge right. and it, it was it was real funny initially but then people realized that they were getting a little bit healthier because they were playing a fucking game on their phone because they had to go out and find these Pokemon. I actually, when I moved, because I've just moved into this place and I, I was waiting for a friend on the corner and there was a woman on the corner as well and she came up to me and was like, oh, are you here for the, like, Pikachu? And I was like, what? Oh, wow, it's still <laughs> she, a thing. like looking at her phone. It's still a thing, apparently. Amazing. But she was waiting for somebody else that played. <laughs> <laughs> not you um i'm just conscious of your time ed i'd love to, oh. to just do a little a little summary of um of health like if if i was coming to you and we can plug your 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 businesses after this mm-hmm. um if i was coming to you looking to get healthier generally for most people what are like the one or two things that you think they need to get in line first. So you said routine. What else do they need? Um, yeah, I think... So my things would be fix your light, fix your movement, and sort your nutrition in some way. But in all of those things, I think focusing on things that you can find enjoyment in first so for example if you um i had some people who told me that when they were kids they liked climbing trees and i said well have you tried bouldering or indoor climbing or anything um since you were a kid and they were like no so i said well there's your homework go and see try it do you enjoy it if you enjoy it or if you can find a movement practice that isn't too restrictive that you can be consistent with and maybe like join a community or socialize doing, then that will be a powerful thing for you to do because yeah. then you're spending time, you're getting better at something, um, you're enjoying it, you're meeting new people. And those people, if they're associated with a movement, they're probably more healthy than people that aren't. Yeah. Um, and then you can talk to them about the other things. Um, the main thing that people don't tend to talk about is the light thing. Mm. Um, and the cheapest or free way to deal with that is spending as much time outside on like away from artificial lighting as you can. Yeah. And then if, if you have to be indoors, then optimizing the artificial lighting either through adding in more red frequencies, um, and you can buy therapeutic, uh, photobiomodulation, red light therapy devices, or just using candles after the sun's gone down or using more dim kind of amber colored bulbs um or red bulbs if you're into that yeah. Uh, um yeah and then from Imagine. a nutrition standpoint it's setting i it, to me if you can um get your your bowels working regularly and consistently and if you can get your sleep regular and consistent and using your nutrition to optimize that as well as optimizing the amount of energy that you feel that you have to do the things that you need to do during the day, starting there and then making the small tweaks for, okay, 
I think I want to lose more fat and I think I want to lose a certain amount of weight or I want yeah. to gain strength or, and then we can talk about the, the nitty gritty. Um, and again, is food the best approach to um, burning fat? Maybe not. Maybe it's getting more cold um, because we know cold, I didn't mention earlier, but it kills fat cells. It literally makes them explode. And then it also sets because fat cells produce leptin, which is the hormone that tells us how much energy we have in our system. It can, if people are, are quite overweight, it can start to reset how much they feel that they need to eat um, mm. just by being cold. Um, yeah. And I have a, I have a friend uh, who started sea swimming, I think, and she has lost over, I think it's something crazy, like 60 pounds in wow. a year and a bit maybe two years um, and hasn't really changed diet too much. much. That's insane. Wow. I must, um, we must book a second call and dive into the nutrition stuff a little bit more. Cause I wanted to talk to you about that today, but then I got distracted by the other stuff you were saying. So That's I wanted okay. to find out more about that. But I think, I think your take on nutrition is not, not less conventional, but it's a bit more, a bit less fucking boring, to be honest. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, rather than eat your chicken, rice and broccoli, like we know yeah. that you can lose fat that way, but I like your, your take on health around it. So I'm definitely going to chase you up for a second call on that. Otherwise, yeah, sure. Ed, if people want to find out more about you or they want to work with you or whatever, where can they go? Yeah, cool. Um, so at Dr. Ed Caddy on Instagram, um, probably most active there. I also have a, a new-ish website, uh, dredcaddy.com. And there's a way to kind of book a call with me to see if I can help you with anything. Um, I'm pretty open. Um, again, I'm a health optimization medicine practitioner, not a medical doctor in that facility. Um, and what else yeah so you'll find me i'm an advi advisor to several other nutritionists my friend uh, ryan carter who's at live vitae on instagram who's got some cool information that he puts out um and also i'm working with richard and we have a course coming out so um you can find you him on the barracudaway.com you can find him on at uh, rare barracuda and at Movement Ayahuasca. And he also has a Movement Ayahuasca website. We're just releasing a course actually uh, that starts in May called Health Through Our Senses. And we'll be talking about how you can optimize light and vision, smell, touch, hearing, taste. Um, so we'll get quite deep into um, the enjoyment of all of these things, how we can optimize them for health and performance and feeling better, essentially. Um, yeah, I'll get you to send me uh, all those links so your healthy sense of stuff and I can post that in the, the podcast notes as well. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate the conversation. Um, Thank you so much, yeah. man. I loved it. Cheers, Ed. Another one.